I'm ready to preach. Is that all right? A proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and the just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by a resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence, we don't talk like this anymore, upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever known. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness thereof, I, I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, President Abraham Lincoln, 1863. You may not have heard this in your local history class, but this country was founded by people that loved the Lord. <coughs> We're in week three of a series called All or Nothing, The Faith of Elijah. And we've started with week one, and I, and I called you all a bunch of mogs and wogs, and I'll still stick to this, because if you're a mog, you're a man of God. If you're a wog, you're a woman of God. And so these stories that talk about these characters of the Bible, it's so easy for us to look at them and say, oh, what a, what a mighty man of God. What a mighty woman of God. And what the Bible is actually full of is stories from one end to the other of people, and we're actually going to see this in a verse today, of people that were just like us, except they let God use them in powerful ways. And so we want to elevate them. And God says, no, I want to elevate you. Two weeks ago, we said that false gods promise what only the true God delivers and provides. And, and we've been talking about flexing our faith muscles and that men and women of God, that we are supposed to be a people of faith. And people of faith have total dependence upon God and unconditional obedience to him. I want to be a man of God. 
Do you want to be a mog or a wog today? Prayer is one of our paths to faith. Why is that? When we pray about things, and inversely, when we don't pray about things, when we pray about things, it means that we're looking to God's providence for that situation or for that thing. When we don't pray about something, it means that we think we can do that thing without God. Right? And so prayer is one of our paths to faith along with like the giving box back there. Sure, it meets the needs of this place, but until you are a giver, you're not trusting God for your financial provision and, and, and the needs of your life. It's, it's just impossible to do the one without, you, you can't do it without it. You can't trust God without praying. You can't trust God without giving. Like fully trust Him. And so, so praying is one of our paths to faith. Why don't we pray? And I'm talking to myself here too because I was uh, sharing with the uh, leadership team, the planning team this week, that uh, I'm a, I like to consider myself well-read. I'm a reader. I like to read about leadership things. I like to read about things in the church and, and the Christian faith. But I counted one book on my shelf that is just devoted to prayer. Like prayers in like other books, like on disciplines and things like, like, things like that. But it's something that I just will chat with God throughout the day, but I take it for granted that I'm supposed to and can go to Him for everything. And so even myself, I, I realize that I'm just making a lot of assumptions. And I'm actually limiting the results in the process. So why don't we pray? I believe for two reasons primarily. One is ignorance. That we don't believe that we should or don't think we need to. And then the other one is pride, and I think we, we actually land on that inadvertently. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to choose to live today without God. If, if you're that person, then good luck, because uh, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're, it's not going to go well for you. I don't think any of us wake up with that intention, but just by not including God in our plans, we've actually done that very thing. And, and we've actually pridefully said, God, I don't need you in today's plans. I got this Tuesday covered. It's a pretty standard issue. Right? I do that too. And so, ignorance. Why does God need us to pray? Because this is honestly where I've probably camped out because I grew up loving the Lord and I grew up trusting Him. And so, my resolution came to something like this that kind of, and I, not in a negative way, but God's going to do what God's going to do. And I think that's true to an extent. And then how can I change God's will? So it's like, God, I'm just going to tell you that I'm with you, and I'm going to pray for things as, as I see them and, and come, come my way, but I'm just generally going to trust you for where we're going. But the, there's a lot of ignorance in that statement because as I've been studying, there is a will of God, and, and that will is going to come to pass, but it's not... See, we don't see the world the way that God sees it. We don't see time the way that, that, that He sees it. And it's not this script that's just already written every detail of and that that's just what we're acting out regardless of what happens. You know, just like this, this fate that's just inevitable. And so 
if I walk over here and, and, and punch the closest Michigan fan I can, sorry, Richard, uh, then, then if I did that, then it's, God knew that was going to happen. And so then it's just something that should have happened then. But what I see this without messing with everybody's minds here today is that God has a perfect will and what he wants is for us to participate in it and he has things that he really, really does want to happen but he's only going to allow those to happen if his people participate in them by praying. Does that make sense? And so, in other words, he has something that he wants to happen but less than that is going to if we hold back. This can happen for a few different ways, not just prayer. I believe God set up this church with, a, with a, a big vision more than I've even seen yet. Why would he give us the resources, just the physical capacity to take care of hundreds of people? Does God waste resources? No. But what he cannot do is he cannot make us do his plan. So in other words, to reach forward and to reach all that God has called this church to be requires us to participate in it. And so the, the Bible teaches that, that we're a body, and as the body weakens or, or doesn't participate, then the end result is also shorter than the intended result. Does that make sense? So in other words, we can only reach our full potential as a church if we all, particip or we all individually participate as, as we're called to, Right? So I can only do what I've been called to do here. And, and as I do it, I'm holding up my end along with each of you. And prayer is a big part of that. And God is showing me that, that I am actually limiting heaven's results by not praying for certain things. So there's ignorance there that, that I need educated on and that I believe we all do pride. Well, here's a definition of confidence, because I, confidence is something that I believe we all uh, aspire to, and, and I like being around confident people. We don't like cockiness, but I think we all appreciate confidence, right? Well, confidence is this. Confidence is the belief, the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. So pride is placing that confidence here. Now, I can get there in a good way by saying, God, I thank you for the gifts you've given me. I thank you that I'm, like, I can function mildly well. You know, that might be up for dispute among some of you. And, and uh, my wife and children could weigh in on that. But... God, I thank you that, you know, I've, you've given me resources, you've given me talents, you've given me abilities, you've given me this, you've given me that. And so, even though I can thank God for the, being the source of those, I can still cut him off from, from being projected in, into needing him today and, and, and what's going forward by just thanking him for what he's giving me, given me, and then just live off of that. Well, we're not supposed to live off of yesterday's revelation. We're not supposed to just take what's been given us and, and, oh, God, thank you for this. Now let me ration it out for the rest of my life. Nope. He wants it to be this cycle 
of, of provision that's running through me and out of me and that I give it away as fast as it's been given to me. And so if I hang on to anything or if I try to close my fist around something, whether it be uh, any sort of resource from time to talent to money, um, people, whatever, if, if I don't let it go, then it stops it up and, and it, it makes an area in my life that he can't pour more through. And the same thing goes with, with the vision and, and what he's called me to do, that it should be fluid. It should be something where I give everything I've got today and I trust him for the vision and the resources for tomorrow. Right? So this pride gets in there because I will just say, God, you, I, think, I think that person needs you a little bit more than I do. Like, yeah, they They do. And uh, so, so God, I'm good over here, and, and, and maybe we're doing it like we, we think that God has like a limit to his resources or something, or a limit to his attention. That is not true. He wants to participate with you in your every day, and so we want to keep ignorance and pride from blocking this out. Let me re- go back to a couple parts of this proclamation. Is this okay today? Can I challenge you in this? Can God challenge us to pray? So listen to this phrase announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And I can reduce this down to a person, to a family, that only a person or a family whose God is the Lord will truly be blessed. Well, that, I think that's why we're all here today. I think we have an understanding of that, and so we make time for church and we make time for these things. It's not just about coming here. It says whose God is the Lord. And so you are doing things, and that's why those spiritual disciplines of, of, of praying, of, of fasting, of giving are there because those are constant reminders of placing God in His place as Lord of your life. And by declaring it, every time you pray, you are redeclaring that God is Lord of your life. Because if you're praying to Him about something, you are saying that I can't do this on my own and I need your provision for it. I'm reminding myself that you're God. And I'm not. Right? Listen to this other part. The language here is just fantastic. But we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us. Here's my favorite part. Or... It's disgusting, but it's my favorite. That we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. And I think it's in the New King James or King James where there's a, there's a phrase about vain imaginations in, in one scripture. And, and, and what does that mean? And, and well, vanity is when we are looking to ourselves And so this whole phrase, this whole part of this resolution for a national day of prayer is is a reminder as a nation that we have gotten this a little messed up in our heads, that we are vainly imagining that the success we have and the providence that we enjoy isn't providence whatsoever because that means it's from God. It means it's a result of my hard work. It's, re- it's a result of me being a good person. It's a result of me saving my money. It's a result of me, me, us, we, 
me. Here's the thing. Regardless of the fact that God gave you all of those things in the first place and even the the thought process to be able to live your life and to plan things out, to do a budget, to plan to design a building or whatever else, the pride that comes just by disregarding the source is one thing. But then to not include God with the future so this resolution is, is challenging the people at that time, 1863, that says you are not giving credit to where all of these good things came from. And oh, by the way, if you don't pray now for future things, you are blocking God from doing anything in your future. And so the question for us today is do you want a life that can only be filled with things that you can do on your own strength? Which, by the way, was given to you by God in the first place. But do you want the results in your life? Do you want your marriage? Do you want your kids? Do you want your job? Do you want your finances? Do you want your goals to be limited to your capacity? Or do we dare invite God to do exceedingly more than what we're capable of. That's why we need to pray. Millard Erickson says it this way, we will look for the genuinely transcendent work of God, thus we will not expect that only those things which can be accomplished by natural means will come to pass. What does all that gobbledygook say? Those are the kind of books I had to read in seminary and translate. We will look for the genuinely transcendent work of God. We're going to expect the supernatural. We will expect God to move. We're supposed to as believers. Otherwise, why are we putting our faith in Him? We will, and then it also says, we will not expect that only those things which can be accomplished by natural means will come to pass. Translation again. We will not limit our expectations to only what you and I can accomplish. I want to expect the unexpected, the impossible, the supernatural, because we're including God in our daily plans and in our future. Does that sound like a little bit more of an exciting life to live? James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. There's a couple pieces to that. The first off is just what I opened up with. Elijah was a man just like us. We want to elevate, and God says, no, no, no. Elijah just figured out, how to depend on me, how to obey me, and how to pray. And I was able to use him for great things for a period of time that that he's he's not even mentioned for that long in the Bible. He just he shows up with his proclamation of no rain. Uh, he comes back. We had the big uh, showdown on top of the mountain that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So let's give an update to where Elijah is right now. So 
a couple weeks ago, we had the my God is bigger than your God message. And that's where all of the prophets of Baal were up there and they yelled and cut themselves and had a big uh, shriek fest for hours and threw themselves on the altar and tried to get their God to move and nothing happened. And Elijah taunted him and said, oh, he's probably in the bathroom or on vacation. You should probably scream a little louder. And then it says, at the normal time for the evening offering, Elijah said, come closer. Poured gallons and gallons of water over top of the offering the animal laid there. And then it said he prayed. And his prayer is interesting because his prayer was not, God, would you... Would you show everybody how cool I am? Would you defend me? And there's prayers like that in the Bible. I think there's times for that. He says, God, would you do something so that these people would know who you are? Would you send your fire from heaven? And it said that the fire came and it burned up everything, that there wasn't even any moisture left there on the ground from the water. And then it says this. We're going to go to 1 Kings 18. Start in verse 42. It says that the king went to go eat a meal because they'd been out there all day. And then it says, But Elijah climbed to the top of the mountain he bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. There's four ingredients, four qualities to effective prayer, and we're going to work through that this morning because I think we're all kind of similar in this, that, that short of uh, a little grace maybe before a meal, uh, Lord bless this food we're about to receive, and yada, 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 thank you for the food, the bread, hope I'm not dead, you know, who knows? Rub-a-dub, thanks for the grub. God, thank you for Aunt Mildred or so-and-so. God, please bless the, you know, whatever going on in her life and, and touch her Lord. We, we know these simple things to do, and those are still very appropriate, and I don't say those to demean them. I think you should constantly give thanks for the things that God brings into your life, including the meals that you eat. And you should lift up the needs for the people and yourself for, that you need and that you care about. But a people of faith should be a people of prayer. And it's important that we know really what we're doing. And so that's what today's about. Today's Prayer 101. So effective prayers, number one, are humble prayers. Humility. What do we mean by that? Uh, first Kings, that, in that verse, first verse that we read today, 42, it says that Elijah bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. 
flexible guy, this Elijah. Now, he hadn't been eating in a while, so maybe that helped. But he doesn't go, even when he prayed for the rain to stop, it doesn't, it's not this bossy kind of tone. There's, there's no commanding God. There's a reverence. There's an understanding that it's God. And so it doesn't say Elijah's prayer, but the whole challenge was the rain's going to, Stay away until people make their hearts right. They have the showdown. God, they, they, they swear their allegiance back to the Lord. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a picture of Elijah praying, and we're assuming that he is praying for rain. It says that he bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Humility is important, and we see this even with Jesus Christ where he says something like this. He says, not my will but yours be done. Well, that's a pretty humble approach to praying, isn't it? Because I think we tend to look at God like a cosmic Coke machine or a genie in a bottle or whatever else, and, and we just come with our list. And it's like, God, it's only three things, but I'm pretty sure that's the rules, and you're going to give me my, you know, this is how this works. I just need to make my request to you. And... This is your job. I'm doing my job by bringing it to you. Now, please do yours and give me what I need. You know, and we might throw a please in there if we're, if we're being good. What we're seeing in Jesus' prayers and how he taught us to pray is that we would align our will with heaven. And, and some of you might think exactly what I thought when I first heard that. Well, duh. If I pray what God wants, of course he's going to do it. Well, what are, what are we really talking about there? We're talking about wanting what God wants. There's another teaching of Jesus where he says, we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be a blessing to the people around us. So here's a question for you. Do you want it to rain in your life? I do. I want the provision of God in my life. Here's the bigger question. Do you want it to reign in other people's lives? The same or more is what, is what we're being taught here. Because God has this desire that all might know Him and come to repentance and, 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 and come to glory through Christ Jesus. That's His heart. Do we want it to reign for other people? Elijah had to pray. God basically used him as the spigot, as the, as the faucet for rain for a nation. Through Elijah's words, it was no rain, and then let it rain. I believe Elijah had to be a place of a sincere heart where he said, God, please send your rain. Would you send your rain on this country again? God, they're, they're messed up, and I know they just told you they love you now, and I know they're not going to love you tomorrow, but because that's like the story of the Bible, right? It's our story. We pull close, and then we, we, we go AWOL, and then we come back, and we see people like this in our life, and, and, and we're like, God, 
if they would just get their life straight, I wouldn't mind if I, I, I could see helping them if they just would stop being such an idiot. And there's a, there's, we don't want to enable, you know, pure silliness sometimes. So I'm not talking about that. I, I don't think you, you necessarily give, you know, everything to somebody who can't handle anything. But that's not what I'm talking about. Do you have a heart that, that it would reign in a broken person's life? Somebody that you've had trouble with before, an enemy, somebody that you don't even know. Would you pray for rain for them? We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. James 4, 6 and verse 10 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so I believe a big part of seeing God's providence in our lives and seeing the miraculous is that we would humble ourselves and want to see him move on behalf of other people. And it's exciting to see God move in the lives of other people that you're praying for. And then especially when you say, God, use me in any way you can to help reach this need. Right? So step one, effective prayers are humble. Uh, step two, effective prayers are specific prayers. First uh, Kings 18.43 says this, it says, Then he said to the servant, go out and look toward the sea. He had just prayed for rain, and he tells the servant, I'm expecting rain. Go look for that. Oh, I just got ahead of myself a little bit. Go look for rain. It's what I prayed for. Here's the thing. Here's what people of faith need to do. As best as you understand a need, you pray for God to meet that specific need. Because it takes faith to say something in detail because if you just give one of these you throw up a uh, let's see you call it like a grenade prayer God if you feel like it would you do something great over here because then if something no matter what happens you can feel good about the results right because it takes a risk God, this person that's close to me has stage four cancer and we need a miracle. God, I'm asking you to remove the cancer from them. Oh. Well, um, you just can't be going saying stuff like that because you don't want to, you don't, you know, exactly. I believe you should be led of the Holy Spirit when you pray, but I also believe that when we're asking for the blessing of God on another person's life, that we should be specific and we should be so bold. Now the trust, the real faith comes in that our faith stays regardless of what the results we see. And I don't understand why not every prayer I've prayed has been answered in the way that I wanted it to be answered. I've seen people healed from cancer. I've seen people that died with cancer. I've seen it both ways. I've seen people's kids come back to the Lord. I've seen people's kids stay in prison. I've seen it both ways. I don't know why. But I know I'm supposed to pray out of a heart of faith, and I want to be so bold to be specific to my God that says, I need you to move in this. I'm going to trust you for how you do it, God, but I, I just this is the need that I see and I'm praying for you to move. Specific prayers 
are faith-filled prayers. You're sending a heat-seeking missile right into the heart of something, and there might be contributing factors, but as best as you understand them, you're saying, God, I need you right there. Specific equals faith. James 4.2 says you do not have because you do not ask God. So number one was humble. Number two was specific. Number three, effective prayers are persistent prayers. In that same verse, it says seven times Elijah said, go back. What's that mean? That means even though Elijah called off the rain, had the big showdown on heaven, uh, up on Mount Carmel, sees the fire from heaven, get my word straight, this is saying that the first six times that Elijah said, Lord, please bring your rain, that a cloud didn't just appear and start raining. And you would think that all of the ingredients are there for an immediate response from heaven. Right? God, give Elijah a break here. He really went out on a limb here for you. One versus hundreds here, and, uh, you know, put the water all over the offering and taunted everybody, and, you know, God, check. I mean, I'm doing this, God. Seven times he sent a servant to go look. Huh. James 5.16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One of the great verses of the Bible, James 5.16. If you want a reason to pray, it's right there. The, effect, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Do you want to pray effective prayers? That's what we're talking about here. But it says, fervent prayer. This is, we're going to repeat this a few times. We're going to chase God on this. We're going to keep asking him to move. My uh, nephew has uh, special needs. He's autistic and has cerebral palsy. And we watch him. He's 30 years old. He's awesome. Every time we do prayers, I say, God, we're ready for your healing. God, would you heal my nephew? Haven't seen it. I've been a part of the family for 23 years, 25 dating, been praying. Might be in heaven, I don't know, but I believe that I have the authority and that I should have the faith to every time pray. Fervently. So persistence. So number one was humble. Come on, wake up. Poke your neighbor. Number two was specific, and now we're on to three is persistent. Number four is expectant. Every time we pray, we declare that our confidence is in the Lord. Even just sending his servant to look for a cloud, what was Elijah doing? There should be a cloud. I'm Pretty sure, God, that you've, you've told me that when I pray for rain again, that you're going to send the rain. And so, I think Elijah would have stayed up there till he saw a cloud. I, I really do. 
I mean, there's no, this guy was nuts. I mean, he was fully committed to this thing called his faith. He was, he was the real deal. He was expecting the rain. He says, go and tell Ahab. This is before a drop hit the earth. And Elijah knew it wasn't just going to rain. He knew bucket loads were coming. And what happens when a lot of rain falls on very dry land? It's messy. He says, go tell Ahab that he better get moving. Because if he is not moving when the rain starts, he's not going to be able to get out of this area. The rain is coming. Humble. Number one. Number two, specific. Number three, persistent. Number four, expectant. Mark eleven twenty four says this. I'll read it to you. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe you've received it, it will be yours. Wow. Now, there's probably not many other verses that have been abused quite like this verse in the teachings of the church. So there's two extremes on this. First of all, if the things you pray for don't get answered, it means there's, there's, there has to be something sinful or something wrong with you that's keeping something from happening. So that's the other extreme. And then the other one has been shortened maybe to something like name it and claim it. Maybe you've heard something like that where it's just, I just have to throw this up in the air and, and, uh, and, and God's just going to... Well, friends, I've, I've prayed for the Ferrari 458. It, it hasn't shown up yet. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? This, go back, this goes back to the not my will, but yours be done. As we talk to God which is really what prayer is. It's a communication. What happens when you communicate a lot with another person? Does the understanding level go up? Hopefully. <laughs> you might need to learn how to talk to the other person if it's going down. Uh, it's, it's supposed to get better if you talk a lot with somebody. It's supposed to. And so there might, you, know, you might need to learn some different words or something. But as we communicate with other individuals, we know their heart. We start to know their dreams. We start to know what they're passionate about. We start to trust them with our dreams, our heart, our fears, our things like that. And so communication, as we open up the, the hotline to heaven by bowing our knee, by, by sharing what's on our heart, by being specific, by being humble, by being persistent, by being expectant, we're going to know what God is wanting to do. And when we're asking for the things that fit into His plan, then yes, those are automatic yeses. They just are. And, and even then, just like God was going to bring the rain, He still had Elijah pray seven times. 
And it's easy for me to look at that story and say, God, hasn't Elijah showed you by that point in the story that he was your guy? That he trusted you? And yet there's the lessons there, even in that, that it's never supposed to be this thing that we take for granted. Even after God shows up here, he, he wants us to go to Him again specifically, fervently, expectantly for the next thing. I want to close by reading uh, some Scriptures to you this morning. Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says this, do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and keep your foot from being caught. Psalm one eighteen seven through nine. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Proverbs fourteen twenty six. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and in his, and his children shall have a place of refuge. 2 Samuel 22.33 God is my strength and power, and He makes my way perfect. Psalm 91.2 I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Jeremiah 17.7 But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Ephesians 3.11 and 12 According to the eternal purpose of what she accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Philemon 3.3, Worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Pretty clear. One of my favorite, this is one of my life verses right here. Hebrews 10.35, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. I close with this one. 1 John 2.28 And now little children abide in Him that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Jesus loves kids, but He wasn't teaching kids' church when He, when he said that. And now little children Abide in Him. He's talking to you and He's talking to me. Because the only way this thing works, the only way it works to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to be a people of faith is that we would come to Him just the same way that my children, as they were young and cute and still not smelly, and they would come to me full of expectation that I loved them, that I would take care of them, that I would meet their every need. And Jesus tells us today, now little children, abide in your Father God. Rest in confidence in Him, not yourself, not any other man, not in any leader of this world, but that we would trust in the only one worth placing our trust in. Can we pray this morning?
God, I thank you for your word today. God, you you want things to happen. The things that we want to happen, God, you're, you're cheering us on, but you're waiting for something from your people. You're waiting for our prayers. Your hand is not so short as to reach the earth. It's ready. It's provided. Not only has it already created this beautiful planet that we live on, God, but it's provided every good thing for us, God. And God, you, you want to meet those needs that we have today. You want to be a part of our future, of our tomorrow, and the tomorrow after tomorrow, God. And yet, your word says that your hand can actually be limited by the lack of our prayers. It's not because we have power. It's because you want your power to run through your people. You want us to pray for our leaders. You want us to pray for our neighbors. You want us to pray for our schools. You want us to pray for vision for ourselves, our families, for our church, for our towns, God. You want us to pray for your hand of healing. You want us to pray for your hand of protection. You want us to pray for your hand of providence. And yet your word says we have not because we ask not. Today as we sit here, the, obviously the purpose of this message was to educate us to the need and the how to pray. What are the specific needs? What is one need you have today? What is it? What's on your heart? Just as we're sitting here together, just think through it. Humble? Specific? And maybe it's something you've prayed for a bunch of times, but we're going to add this one to the list. God, we need you to move. And we're going to expect you to move. I'll challenge you further. What's And maybe you did pray for somebody else, but, but go off... Go off the deep end a little bit. What's something just out there that you could pray that you, you know somebody else needs and it's not really something you've ever considered that much of yourself with? It's part of why we do things like these shoe boxes. It's, it, they help us put our eyes on other people. God, would you move in my neighbor's life? Would you move in my co-workers life would you move God in 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 people that I don't really know and and God maybe I don't even might even be people I don't even really want to know God I, I don't understand this thing I don't understand that group but God would you bless them if you've never trusted Jesus with your heart with your soul is today the day you would cross the line of faith and trust Him for salvation and for the leadership of your life? We call that salvation in the church where you would ask Him to forgive you 
set you free from your sin and to lead you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Father God, receive these prayers. God, I pray that you would begin to hear more prayers from Family Church, me included, that we would expect you to move. Let's stand and worship.